0: Star Wars fun for everyone, especially me. I like the sound of that. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 2 of Star Wars fun for everyone, especially me. Uh, I'm your host Tom Sutton. Uh, It's a good day to be talking Star Wars. I've got a few things that uh, I want to get stuck into. Uh, you may have noticed that uh, The Clone Wars has uh, returned. Season 7. Uh, we, of course, never thought we would see uh, any new episodes of that show when it got cancelled uh, some years ago. But thanks to fan support, here it is. Now, um, i got to say, straight out of the box. Um, I like The Clone Wars very much. When it came out, I was pretty pumped. Uh, because at that time, I mean, it's hard to remember, it's hard to, um, or it's easy to forget how different things were back then. And it's not so long ago, but uh, as far as we knew, there were six films, some uh, extras, TV, uh, some cartoons, comics and novels, but that was about it. So when they announced um, this show, it was very exciting. I remember going to see the the quote-unquote film in the cinema and having a good time with it, actually. Um, Now, uh, yeah, I think as the show went on, I I, I enjoyed it a lot, but there were episodes that were good, episodes that were, you know, just okay, and... um, The thrill of seeing weekly Star Wars did start to wear off at some point, and it became kind of normal in a way. Um, But overall, it was, of course, a uh, a strong show, and there were certain arcs that are really, really fantastic. So now um, we find ourselves in uh, 2020, and um, The Clone Wars is back. Uh, I got to say the uh the first arc the bad batch uh, it was f- fine but um it really illustrated to me that uh the prequel era is never going to be a favorite era in Star Wars for me i even like like away from the story the characters whatever just the the fact that the, the designs are those prequel era designs it, ju- it doesn't just doesn't do it for me like i don't like battle droids <laughs> you know I, i'm never going to i guess you know um i, I don't love clone troopers you know i mean they uh, you can say well they're basically stormtroopers which they are of course but um yeah that watching that arc, it, it kind of it did make me think. Now, when we've had five uh, new films of uh, Star Wars that I've really, really enjoyed, plus uh, the Mandalorian, it it means that uh, yeah, that's got uh, it's got more work to do than it used to to uh, really give make me enjoy it. Basically, now um, having said that. Uh, the We're two episodes into the second arc and uh, they, of course, focus on Ahsoka and I, uh, r- I enjoyed these a lot more than the Bad Batch episodes. Um, I mean, visually they're fantastic, like, this is amongst the best uh, Clone Wars has ever looked. I think the, um, you know, I actually, despite not being a huge prequels fan, it was really nice to see Coruscant again. And it did make me kind of think like, man, it's, it's weird that the sequel trilogy never really went back there. It was such a, a central planet or a central location in the prequel trilogy. And I, I, it was nice to see it again, i got to say. And the, the backgrounds look fantastic. The face animation on the characters was extremely strong, I thought really uh, it really helped me relate to the characters and it's great to see Ahsoka again of course she's a great character and um good to have her back so um yeah i think uh, generally speaking when it comes to the clone wars the first episode of any arc is um a little slow to get going uh but um, yeah I, I really like this I, I find i think the sisters are charming and um, it was, I mean, it's nice to see those uh, original trilogy era aliens, even in animated form. Um, I felt like the second episode there were some things that I, just logic-wise don't, didn't quite make sense to me. Like they, they went to meet, uh, these, you know, this group on Kessel but then and they were hired by them but then they were going to get paid by the pikes and that's i don't know that stuff just didn't quite uh, make sense to me but as a huge fan of the uh, solo film i, ha- I <laughs> got a kind of a thrill out of seeing kessel or the Moor. uh it uh, it's funny you know once you've um once you've developed a relationship with a location or uh you know, a design or whatever, it doesn't take much to uh, get, uh, you know, to hit you in the Star Wars feels when you see it again. It's kind of interesting to see parts of Kessel that are not just uh, the mines. Um, Yep, so it was cool. Uh, So, yeah, I'm having uh, uh, more fun with this than I did with the Bad Batch arc, and uh, that's good news. All right, the other fun Star Wars news uh, in my life is that the, uh, the Art of Star Wars book arrived one or two days ago. Um, written by Phil Sostak. And um, I don't know if uh, any of you have ever bought any of the Art of books. I'm talking... Um, I want to talk specifically about the uh, the new films, the art of books for those films. Really, like, I think outside of the films themselves, these are my favorite Star Wars uh, experience. I love them. They are f- just so... Um, just overflowing with Star Wars style and imagery and... Um, there's something about um seeing these just classic st- classically star wars designs uh, and but seeing the kind of um the texture uh of um, of of it as, of them as art pieces or as sketches you know like uh you know any time you see a painting there's um, there's uh, some texture in the brushwork or, uh, you know, when you see sketches and there's a roughness to it. There's something about that that... It, it, it almost plugs the images directly into my, um, my imagination, in a way. Uh, it's so um, evocative to me. I, I love these books. Um, and, uh, I mean, you get the fun of seeing the progression of the concepts as uh as they go from idea to idea before arriving at what the uh, the final concept is going to be that's a lot of fun um you get to see uh stuff that um artists came up with or you know even the the, the directors maybe thought up and these uh, artists have put on paper and um it's it's of course fun to see stuff that never made it into the film. It's really um, really great. And uh, another great thing about these books is um, it's not uh, just the images that are a big part of the experience. It's the um, behind the scenes stuff. Um, you get to read a little bit about the process that uh, these artists went through to find the uh, designs that uh, were kind of given the okay for. the to be used in the the final film. I really, uh, if you're looking for for cool Star Wars books, the art of books are, to me, A double plus, top shelf, amazing Star Wars. So, um, I am not more than 15 or 20 pages into this so far, and uh, I I thought it would be nice uh, nice to, kind of make note of things that have caught my eye and share some of those points on the podcast. Um, something that's interesting about the, uh, the Rise of Skywalker book is that um, it actually contains a bunch of stuff from The Last Jedi. Now, the reason for this is that uh, they were so secretive or protective over um, images that could have spoiled... The Last Jedi that uh, they didn't include those in the Art of Last Jedi book in case uh, certain plot points would get out in that way. So the, the, the first part of the book is actually basically including the images and information that uh, would have been considered too spoiler sensitive at the time for The Last Jedi book. Um, there's some great stuff uh designs for um you know older Luke beautiful painting of the burning tree um, yeah I mean what th- there's some uh, yeah great stuff from the last jedi um, and some pretty juicy stuff in the text so the first thing I wanted to uh, take a look at is um i I'm not go- I don't need to remind people that there were some pretty strong reactions to the last Jedi in both directions. There are people who will claim it is not only the greatest Star Wars movie ever but a masterpiece of cinema. There are people who will claim that it's the worst uh, Star Wars movie ever and uh, totally worthless. And of course then there are people in the middle. Uh I love the film. There are things that I don't like as much, but overall I think it was uh, it was great. There are certain things that I didn't like at first, but I came to like later on. I think that um uh you know, I di- I didn't uh, I wasn't in love with the Canto bite sequence uh when I first saw it. And I'm never going to it's never going to be my my favorite uh thing in Star Wars. I mean, it's actually, out of all the five new films, that's probably, probably my least favorite um, part of them. Um, but one thing that, one aspect of it that uh, must be considered the most uh, emotional for, <laughs> for fans uh, is the, uh, was the treatment of Luke Skywalker. Uh, I don't think uh, uh, many people could have expected that we were going to get a uh, bitter and defeated Luke in that film. I think we were all... You know, some people were expecting um, Luke the Super Jedi. Uh, I I never thought that was going to be it. I I thought that he would basically be the Obi-Wan of of the film. And um, even though he was in... uh, in exile in a way, but that uh, he would welcome Rey and um, be happy to train her. Now, um, I think, like, it's, it was fine to me that he didn't, you know, all right, over we go. Luke, super Jedi warrior, go. You know, I'm very happy that it wasn't that. But it did, um, I felt sad that uh, he wasn't, more welcoming or kind to Rey until the end of the film, basically. That was weird. I, I felt like, oh, that's, that's not my Luke, you know. Uh, now, over, over time, I've actually come to kind of appreciate that Luke Skywalker very much. Uh, partly, it's uh, kind of reflecting on how how it relates to me, I guess. Uh, I'm 43 years old and I, I feel like at this point, I've, I'm old enough to have um, experienced some defeats and uh, to kind of feel how difficult it is to stand up and uh, to say like, no, I, I have it in me to keep going or to try again. Um, I think if I was uh, 23 years old instead of 43 and seeing this film, I would be like, oh, come on, man. Get back on the horse. Fight the, fight the good fight. But I think um, at this point, I, I kind of can relate to how he was. Um, now, not everybody uh, <laughs> has gone through that process. Some people hated how Luke was treated. They hated it then. They hate it now. And I guess the greatest symbol... Of what uh, these pe- a lot of those people uh, felt was the moment that uh, Ray handed him the lightsaber, and he flicked it over his shoulder and strode off. Um, they felt that it was like uh, kind of disrespectful to the history of that uh, particular lightsaber and to the character of Luke. Um, now, I've often felt. That it was the right choice, but perhaps a more dramatic dropping of the lightsaber or something would have uh, gone over better. The flip of the shoulder does feel like um, it's going for a laugh a little bit. I mean, I remember the first time I saw it. Actually, I was so shocked that 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 happened, but I was so like I feel like any time the film like the films do something. Risky. I get a buzz out of it, and I feel like, oh, I can't believe they did that. That's amazing. Like when um, when Kylo killed Snoke, it was a that was a similar experience. Like, I can't believe they did that. I lo- so I, I love that, you know. If they had done it in a um, a kind of more uh, heavy dramatic way, I think maybe people would have accepted it. You know, I mean. Luke throws his lightsaber away at the end of Return of, Je- Return of the Jedi. The moment like he's kind of his peak as a as a character and as a Jedi Knight is when he turns his back on violence and throws his saber away. So for him to do the same in this film, I think it it, it definitely makes sense, but uh they could have done it in another way. But anyway, the text regarding The Last Jedi in this uh, Art of the Rise of Skywalker book has an interesting quote from Ryan Johnson. Uh, here we go, I'm going to read it for you. Uh, the best stuff is the stuff that challenges the audience, Ryan Johnson said. But its sole purpose isn't to defy expectations. All of these characters do the things that they do because it makes sense, even in the beginning, with Luke throwing away the lightsaber. It wasn't so much, oh, this will be funny because it's not what everyone's expecting. It's literally the only reaction I can imagine Luke possibly having in that situation. All right. I found that pretty interesting. Um, I think that some people have painted Ryan's approach to the film and uh, to that moment uh, in particular as... Basically, uh, subverting expectation for the sake of sub- subverting expectations. Um, I don't think that's true. Uh, I think that in lots of cases, y- yes, you can say that he went for uh, something that would kind of slap the audience in the face a bit to keep them um, keep them guessing. Um, but it was kind of nice to read that he felt that this was a moment he was not unsure or guessing like maybe I should go for this maybe I should go for that. He felt like that was the only reaction that Luke could have had to that situation. That was cool. It was nice to hear to uh read that. Ah, I'm drinking um herbal tea. Very nice. All right. Uh the other interesting point text wise obviously on a podcast, I can't show you the pictures. You'll have to buy the book if you want to do that although i'm I am going to be throwing some of my favorite images up on the instagram page all right um, there is a fascinating chunk of um, conversation now um I would be interested to hear F- Phil Zolstack's re- uh, kind of reasoning behind including this, but there are a lot of quotes from the creatives from a meeting that occurred on May 21st in 2014. Uh, this was a week after the start of princi- principal photography on The Force Awakens. Uh, it was a uh, a group of people, apparently an informal group, I guess we've all heard of the, um, we've heard a lot about um, the story group. It's a bit uh, mysterious, but uh, yeah, we all know what that is, I guess, by now. Uh, So it was interesting to hear about this group called the Intellectual Property Development Group, or the IPDG. Uh, I think their job was... Basically, to discuss how they envisioned the next two episodes, episodes eight and nine. Um, so, what's included is actually a chunk of conversation. Um, they, uh, included in the conversation are Pablo Hidalgo, Dave Filoni, John Knoll, Kiri Hart. It's an interesting bunch of people. Now, um, in the conversation about the last jedi uh if you uh if you're part of the fandom you've seen this happen that um of course there are a lot of people who like or don't like it based purely on their uh appreciation of the art of the film and the story but there are people who have uh, picked a side based on their own uh personal political um Preferences um, I think that uh the fact that um a lot of the most what I was interested to to realize i think uh I forget who pointed it out but uh in all three kind of s- sub stories it tends to be the women who are teaching the men, or showing men the way forward. Uh, Luke is lost until Ray shows him the way. He doesn't come back until until Ray, I guess, in some way convinces him to do it. Uh, well, a, Rey, a combination of Ray and Leia, I would say. Uh, Poe Dameron is uh, not on the right track until Leia... Shows him the way to uh, to be a leader, and uh, Finn is still mostly concerned about saving Ray and getting to safety. But it's Rose who uh, kind of clues him in a little bit more on the wider uh, the wider implications of the struggle that they're involved with. Um, so there are certain guys out there who um, didn't respond well to all the girl power, basically. Now, that, you know, I think that's, <laughs> it disappoints me, you know. Anytime uh, yeah, basically, to me, Star Wars has been a, clearly, like, had a very kind of left leftist message its whole, you know, since day one. Um, and putting a character like princess leia in um in this type of film i mean they were they were fighting the uh the t- stereotype of the damsel in distress from day one so the fact that there are dude bros out there who uh, would be bothered by the fact that the last jedi dared to put women in positions where they could actually teach men a thing or two. Um, yeah, I just I don't have time for it. But um, sometimes the dude bros will tend to uh, hold up Dave Filoni as their guy, like, get rid of Kathleen Kennedy and put the Dave Filoni in. So with that in mind, I would like to read uh, a quote from Dave Filoni from this meeting that occurred in 2014. Uh, They are talking about Leia, and um, talking about uh, Pablo Hidalgo mentions that he feels like it would be cool if it was Leia who was the one who finally kind of reached Kylo and changed his mind. Um, There is um, yeah, some talk about uh, it would be powerful to have um, have Leia be it basically the Obi Wan character. I guess when the film starts, you're expecting Luke to take that role, uh, but you don't, you don't get it the way you think you are. You're going to get it in The Last Jedi. And it's actually Leia who, uh, who guides people um, to a great extent in The Last Jedi. And then in The Rise of Skywalker, she's, of course, uh, she's Ray's teacher as well as a leader for the entire resistance. So, um, they're basically talking about bringing... Um, about kind of what, the, the, what uh, role or what position they want Leia to have in the story. Uh, this is a quote from Dave Filoni. Uh, we should shift it so Leia is the Obi-Wan of this entire trilogy. I don't even think that it hurts that she's not primarily that mentor figure in Seven because, like John, like John had been saying, the audience expectation is so on Luke. And when that proves not to be true, it's way more powerful. It's dangerous because it makes it so about the women of Star Wars. Something to me says that's right. There is something happening culturally. You look at birth, regeneration, the world itself needs he- needing healing. All of those things are emblematic of the mother character in myth. They are all matriarchal things. Mother Earth itself. Global warming is a hot topic. George was always so good at tapping into what's happening in culture, and he hits us with it. The idea that we have Leia, a mother character who needs healing in her own right, that's something we can get into in a deeper way. Yeah. So I just um I have to say it uh I, I kind of <laughs> it tickled me a little bit that Dave Filoni who a lot of uh lot of people out there kind of keep saying, you know, get Kathleen Kennedy out, put Dave Filoni in. I mean, Dave's Dave's not afraid to let women have their have their place at the table either. All right. So, uh again I wanna recommend the art of books in general. Uh I am a part of the way into the Rise of Skywalker art book. And so far it's just I love it. I kind of it makes me wanna sit there and look at each picture for like two hours. But um yeah. That's the glory of books though, isn't it? It feels like you know when you look at fun stuff at the internet, you uh, close the window or click f- click ahead or do whatever and it's kind of gone in a way, but uh, it's kind of nice to have these books on the shelf and go, until the day I die, if I want to look at concept art for The Rise of Skywalker or Solo or Rogue One or Episode 7 or Episode 8, I can just pull it off the shelf and uh, have that experience again. It's really nice. Okay. So uh, we are going to get stuck into the next scene of The Rise of Skywalker. Um, we did uh, Kylo and um Kylo and the Emperor's amazing sequence that opened the film on the last episode so next we're getting into um ah, I mean I get seriously th- I don't know how long this film goes before it hits something that I don't love but it it goes a long time <laughs> it's just to me it was like scene after scene of um of basically sh- shoving chocolate cake in your own f- face it's uh, is fantastic so uh next up we i think we're joining uh Poe and Finn on the falcon here we go all right we get this awesome shot of um of the falcon going through hyperspace and then it's chewy Finn and Poe playing a uh, chess. I've heard um, some people talk about uh, that, that perhaps the holochest thing has been overused in the uh, this uh, new era. Yeah. That uh, that could be so. <laughs> um, but it is right in the living room of the Falcon. And we do spend a lot of time on the Falcon, so it is going to be there. And I love this sequence. You ever going to go? This is something that J.J. Abrams is fantastic at—just this kind of like really funny, snappy dialogue. Over this, <laughs> come on, you're 250 years old. Of course, you're better than us. And we get this, uh, this uh, alarm sound of uh, the the Falcon um, approaching. Uh, Okay, I got to say something. This character Claude, if you're not sure who that is, it's the kind of uh, dusky yellow slug-like creature with these protuberant protuberances coming from his head and these big uh, googly eyes. Um, I remember seeing images of the character, like on leaked posters and stuff, as we were getting closer to the release of the movie. Um, Straight away, I really liked him. Um, I think that... um, a big ingredient in the magic of Star Wars is the silliness. You've got to have a little bit of ridiculousness for it to really feel like Star Wars. And... um, so I've seen people say like, so it seems that Claude's role on the ship is to work as a kind of an engineer, like he's, he's fixing stuff. Uh, and I've seen people uh, kind of complain like, oh, "Come on, he has no hi- he has no arms, <laughs> he has no hands. How can he fix anything?" I think that that's kind of the point. I really think. I c- I feel like. You know, JJ or whoever looked at this, this design and went, <laughs> let's make him <laughs> an engineer on the Falcon. <laughs> it's his job to fix stuff. And you never see him actually fix anything successfully. He just looks kind of terrified and confused all the time. So uh, to me, this is just classic, fun, ridiculous Star Wars. And I, I like it. Yeah, I love it that uh, that thing on the wall sparks and he just kind of goes, oh. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, the approach... What's the name of this uh, planet? I actually don't remember. It's got these great uh, kind of icy spires, and uh, I guess it's sitting in a giant lake or something, because it seems to be. Um, or or no? Is that? I mean, it it looks like a reflection, but is that actually? J- is it floating? I'm gonna have to read about it. See, this is, okay, this is something that the new, new films have gotten really right, I think, is this kinetic energy. So you might remember as uh, Finn is heading into the cockpit, he taps R2 on the head and this barrel rolls across the floor and he just kind of hops over it. I, that energy and that kind of like, um, like something's always happening, it's moving and it's, it just uh, makes it... Exciting. I think that's great. I love the whole look of this. I mean, it's. I like ice and snow, to be honest. I didn't move to Sweden uh, <laughs> to get away from ice and snow. I, 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 anytime I see it, like, I love Hoth. I love Ray and Kylo's fight on uh, Starkiller Base. I'm a sucker for snow. So the fact that this is basically a giant iceberg is uh, right up my alley. And the the movement of the falcon as it just comes screaming around. You see uh, this character, Bulio. He's got uh, information for the Resistance. Uh, you probably know that that was Mark Hamill who provided the vo- voice for that. That's nice. No such thing as too much Mark Hamill. It's great, I like the design of the character. Yeah, this is one of those things where (laughs) you have to use Star Wars logic. Uh, They have to plug this hosy thing into R2 to get this information, but it's like, as far as I can tell, it's basically, like there's no more information than just, I mean, you could just pick up the phone and. Do an intergalactic phone call and just tell them. But yeah, Star Wars Logic doesn't matter. I love it. I just, it's kind of cool to see like this thing plug into R2, and like we've never seen anything get plugged into R2 like that as far as I remember. It's really fun when you see like really familiar stuff, you know, stuff that you've been familiar with for 40 years or more, and then it's shown, they show it in a new light or show like, yeah, you've been seeing this like thing me on the wall or this part of a droid and you never knew what it was for now you can see how it works and then I mean the TIE fighters screaming in that is seriously the sound of TIE fighters is, has to be one of the greatest all-time Star Wars sound uh, pieces of sound design and we get some shots of uh, first-order TIE pilots I love them I mean, you'll never beat the original trilogy, but there actually are. There's a thing or two that I think the new films can do even do even better. And the design of the of the tie pilots, it's a bit s- more s- sleek and streamlined than the original trilogy tie pilots. Uh, they they look deadly. I love it. I love the way the the lights inside the cockpit kind of like reflect off the black. Um, the black helmet and the the armor i wish there was more of that this is one thing that i can um say that i really would have liked more of in the s- sequel films a bit of that mo- a bit more of that like classic dogfight stuff that you see in um especially episode 4 uh but you get a b- uh, you get some good stuff like that in uh, return of the jedi and rogue one as well but i mean I don't think anyone. I don't think they've topped that kind of like um, that uh, classic World War II type dogfight stuff. Uh, It's episode four is the kind of the best at that. But uh, great to see the Thai pilots again. Um, (laughs) This line. How do we thank you? Win the war. All right, now uh, again, just like I feel like we get we're kind of spoiled in a way. Like I, I've heard, listened to a lot of podcasts. I have listened to a lot of podcasts talking about this movie. And um, like I don't hear people just go like it's cool to see the Falcon flying. Like we're almost spoiled at this point. Because and all you got at the Falcon, what was what was in the original trilogy. I mean, to see more of this stuff, it, it's great, and uh, I think this scene is killer Falcon stuff. Finn looks ice cold in the gunner, gunner seat, and, um, yeah, I love this ice corridor thing. Oof. I mean, it's the, 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 impacts as the like as he hit you know lands shots on the tie fighters and the tie fighters smash into the walls. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> you see Claude back there? He's still working on the thing on the wall, I guess? Something. I should turn this maybe I should turn the subtitles on. Poe says, "Finn, we can boulder these ties. Never heard the word "boulder" used as a verb before. Is that a is that a word? Do you say that "boulder"? Is that a Indian? Is that an Indiana Jones reference? I don't l- I don't dislike it. I love it, but it just feels weird. Yeah. Apparently Finn was just thinking that he says. But I mean that I love that the, that gun seat and the position of the guns on it and then the the tube behind it like if you look uh, if you watch the extras on the solo uh blu-ray the people uh, who I mean they did a lot of work on the falcon for that uh movie obviously but they talk about how it doesn't make sense and it has never made sense that the outer design of the falcon and the inner design of that gun of the the gunner positions they they never really thought it through very carefully they didn't think it ma- you know, they didn't think people would be watching these films frame by frame for the, for decades to come. You know, and so that means that um, now, mm. when you include the Falcon, you kind of have to. It still has to not make sense because you can't change this stuff now. Again, those Tie Fighter impacts. Ah, I mean the way the Falcon moves. It's it's poetry to me. I love it. Now we go into this section where Poe's uh, doing this new thing called Lightspeed Skipping. People have kind of said, like talked out, you know, pointed out logic issues or whatever. Again, I just I don't care. It looks amazing. It's super exciting. I kind of feel like. I mean, this thing, of it's. I guess I ha- maybe have a little bit of a problem where, like, th- they're jumping through hyperspace over and over again, and the ties are following them. That must mean that the ties can track them through hyperspace. So it's a little bit weird that only about a year ago in the uh, in universe, um, this hyperspace tracking was a brand new thing, and they were only tracking them from the lead ship and this whole, like, uh, you know, bunch of. Uh, huge ships that were chasing the resistance and now it seems like all these TIE fighters have hyperspace, have active tracking because how else would they be following the falcon through these bizarre short hyper speed jumps yep but i just love the sequence i just it's so energetic and so visually cool just the jumps going from um, environment to an environment <laughs> Claude terrified this giant worm thing. Pfft. Great. I just um. I mean, this is you know partly what contributed, I guess, to people's feelings of like, oh my god, can this thing like it calm down for a second? It's like such a fast-moving film. Yeah, a lot is uh, a lot is being thrown at the viewer within the first. 10 minutes or so, I don't disagree. But um, with regards to the pacing of the film, I think it bothered me a bit on the first viewing or two, but I got used to it real fast, and um, I love the pace of it now. I think it's... I just remember the first time I was watching it, just going like, man, I'm having, I'm having a good time. And then a few viewings later, just going like, I'm still like... I mean, the classic, I'm uh, I'm literally on the edge of my seat with this. Uh, it's like so exciting and so uh, cool. Yeah. All right. We are going to, of course, get, uh, get to the next scene on our next episode. So uh, if you want to get in touch at all, you can find us or me, because <laughs> this is, uh, you know, especially me. So uh, you can get in touch with me or, uh, on Facebook. We have a page called uh you know just under the name of the podcast, if you search for that you'll find us and uh also I have an instagram um instagram page and that is called star Wars fun for everyone all uh no no funny business there no no funny uh characters or anything so star Wars fun for everyone on instagram all right, thanks for listening already. Looking forward to uh, the next episode. So we'll see you next time on uh, Star Wars Fun for Everyone, especially me.